Good morning. Let's turn to the book of Colossians in chapter 2. We're starting in verse 6. It says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son Jesus. We thank you that we've had uh, the privilege of studying through Colossians and seeing the work of your son in creation, in the church, in our lives. Lord, we pray today that your word would go forth, not just from this pulpit, but from the pulpits in America and across this world, and that it would be a message of truth, a message of hope. It would be the true gospel that's preached. Lord, we thank you that many, many, many churches are staying faithful even in the midst of persecution and affliction and suffering. We pray for them that they'd continue to stay faithful to you, God. May the same be true of us in our families, in our personal lives, and this church, Lord. We want to be a people who are faithful. Thank you that you are growing us up to be what you want us to be, Lord, spiritual, mature believers, walking in faith. Continue, Lord, to mold us, to shape us, to conform us to the image of your Son. We pray you do all these things for your glory. Amen. The last few weeks we've been looking at what it looks like to be rooted and established and built up in the faith. Uh, last week we looked at the dangers of false teaching, particularly the new thought that um, has come onto the scene in the last probably decade or so, probably really longer, but um, become more affluent since then. Um, this week we're going to kind of pick that up, starting in verse 8 of Colossians 2, and we're going to see in part why we want to reject the teaching of what was going on in the Colossian church and any false teaching that occurs today. And then we're going to look particularly at verse 10. So, why reject the teaching? Paul in Colossians 1 lays out to us the beauty, the awesomeness, the amazingness of Jesus. And he uses that as the, as the groundwork and foundation to be like, don't turn to anything else or anyone else. Jesus and Jesus alone is the one who is worth it. Uh, worthy of our praise, worthy of our admiration, and worthy of us being faithful to him and not being swayed by anything that is not of him. 
That is the foundation that's laid. So then we get into chapter 2, and we see that in verse 6 it says, as we received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So the idea is, is as we've been saved and as we've trusted in Christ and as we've been forgiven of our sins, as we've been regenerated, as we've been justified, as we've been sanctified in our being sanctified, now, now what? Well, we continue our walk with Jesus. So as we do that, and every believer who's been a believer for more than five minutes knows that, that you are going to be challenged with all sorts of things in this world. True? So all sorts of things are going to uh, come at you, afflict you, challenge you. That's the world. But then you also have our adversary, the devil. Right? And what does the devil try to do? Tries to, to mess you up. He throws, he throws his fiery darts, as Ephesians says, at us. So that's the second thing. And then the third thing is what? What's the other thing that, that plagues us? The flesh. The flesh, right? Our own fallenness creeps in there uh, more often than we'd like. So all those things are coming at us. And, and Paul is telling us here, by the Spirit, in verse 8, to reject the teaching anything that's not of Christ, anything that uh, has a hint of the falseness of Christ, anything that lessens who Christ is, anything that takes away from who he is, anything that hints at anything other than a faithfulness to who the real Jesus is. That's what he tells us in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive, no one, by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And we've looked at that in some. But then he goes and he says, okay, I'm going to tell you why to reject the teaching. I've, I've already laid the foundation in Colossians 1, but in case that wasn't clear enough, I'm going to spend a number of verses telling you why you want to reject the teaching. And that's what he starts to do in verses 9 through 15. And he says, essentially, and we'll probably spend at least another week looking at it, but he says to us, look at what you have in Christ. Look at what you have in Christ. What, what the world has to offer, what the devil has to offer, what the flesh has to offer, it's not worth it. Why? Because what you need and everything you need, you already have it completely, fully, entirely in Jesus Christ. So that's why he says in verse 9, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him. Like you've got it all. If you have Jesus you have what you need. You have salvation. You have reconciliation with the Father. You've been made right with God. Fellowship with the creator of the universe. And he's not just the creator of the universe. If you've been adopted into the family of God, he's now your heavenly Father. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Amen? So here's the thing. We want to reject the teaching. That means a few things. It says in verse 8, see to it. See to it that no one takes you captive. So what does that mean? We, listen to me, we have to be diligent. We have to be diligent. We have to study the scriptures to stay on guard. Hold your place in Colossians because we'll be coming back. But look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. Are y'all there? Okay, 2 Timothy 2, verse 14. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Then 
Here's what I want us to look at in verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So again, we want to present ourselves to God as one approved. How do we do that? Through diligent study. Think about uh, the Bereans that Acts uh, tells us about. What does it tell us about the Bereans? What's the, the kind of the key adjective that's used? They were more noble, right? They looked into the things. They wanted to check things out. They studied the scriptures to see if it lined up with what Paul was saying. Well, that makes sense. You know, people right now who are in their 20s, they, they might have maybe heard about the emergent church, but they probably couldn't really tell you much about it. Why? Because that was really before their generation. And the emergent church came. And where's the emergent church now? Well, it de-emerged. Okay? I mean, it's, it's gone. Okay? Now, it's, it's been packaged as a different name and label, and, and it, it's always morphing, so to speak. But today, if you use the term progressive Christianity, people in their 20s are going to be familiar with that term. And probably in another decade or so, it'll be some new term that they have. Because, what, you know what? Error always likes to repackage itself in different forms. So, once it becomes a little bit more uh, recognizable as error, once it becomes a little less palatable, then what does it do? It gets repackaged so that it hopefully becomes more palatable. Same thing with new thought. Now, maybe some of you, uh, most, most of the people didn't raise their hands last week, but it's here, it's affecting people, it's swaying people. Well, why is this? I mean, have you ever wondered all these, all these I mean, it was, I remember when I first realized I was doing some studying years ago on Jehovah Witnesses, and then I was uh, studying church history, and I heard about the Arians. And I'm like, Jehovah Witness is just like 2,000-year-later Arianism. Like, there's nothing new. It's just been repackaged and, and given a different look and called a different thing, but it's still error nonetheless. Look a couple chapters later at 2 Timothy. Why is this? Why do people get sucked into these things? 2 Timothy 4, verse 3, 2 Timothy 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So what's the command that he gives? So he warns them, hey, this is what's going to happen. People are going to turn away from sound doctrine. Well, think about what that means, actually. Just think for a moment. It says in verse 3, they're not going to endure sound teaching. I mean, in order to not endure it, you have to be around the sound teaching to begin with. True? So they're hearing the sound teaching. It, it, they don't like what it says. Guess what? All of you at some point, myself included, aren't going to like what sound teaching says. And it's then that we've got to make a decision what we're going to do. If it's sound teaching, it's sound teaching. If it's coming from the Word, then it's grounded in truth. And so, yeah, sometimes we're going to hear the Word, and we're not going to like that Word. But guess what? If Jesus is our Savior, if God is our Father, then we submit to the Word. We submit to it. We don't like it sometimes. I get it. I've been there. But guess what? It's not about what you like. It's about the truth. And it's not about you. It's about Jesus. So if he says it, it's good enough for us. If he says it, we submit unto it. 
So, pe- so people are here uh, enduring sound teaching in this passage, and what happens? Well, they want, they want something else. So what do they do? They leave the sound teaching. And then what does it do? Well, they want to go and hear what they want to hear. And sadly, there are churches out there, if you want to hear a certain thing, you can find that church. You, you can always find a church to say to, to excuse any sin you got. Guarantee it. Any sin you want to do, there's a church out there that'll, that'll bless the thing. Now, God won't bless it. He won't bless it. So yeah, if you want to have the itching ears, but brothers and sisters, let me just warn you, don't do it. Don't do it. It is not worth it. Never worth it. So what, is, what are we commanded in verse 5? As for you always, be sober-minded. Why? Because you want to make sure that, you know, you're like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave my church. I'm going to leave my church. Well, you need to ask, are, are you leaving because you don't like what's being preached? Because of the sound teaching that's going on and you're looking for something else. So be sober-minded and be, and be sharp. You need to stay sharp. Keep your sword sharpened. I remember in Belize a few years ago, uh, one of the trips I had, we were doing a number of construction projects. And so I, I had this knife that I was always using. Always using this knife. And one time, uh, this place that we ate at that particular week, uh, the restaurant owner um, had given me something. I was trying to use the knife to, to cut it. And it was just like, I mean, it was just like using a butter knife. It wasn't doing anything on whatever I was trying to, to cut through. And so the owner was like, hey, give me, give me the knife and I'll have it ready for you by the next meal, and I'll sharpen it up for you. And sure enough, next meal, she hands it to me. Man, that knife was the sharpest I had ever seen it. Um, I didn't know it could be so sharp. Listen, the knife needed attention. I didn't realize the blade had become dull over time, and I was so focused on the construction that I didn't even take time to tend my own tools. And sometimes for us, if we're not careful, we can get so focused on good things, serving the Lord, ministering to our families, our job, those are good things, but we can get so focused on that we don't tend to our spiritual tools. True? Yeah. So we've got these spiritual tools that God's given us, and, then, and, and they get dull over time if you don't sharpen them. If you're not in the Word, what's going to happen? I mean, the sword itself, the Word of God doesn't get dull, but your use of it gets kind of dull. So we need to be careful, and we need to be sober, and we need to stay sharp. We need to see that we're not taken captive. And, and the word that we've been given, the sword of the Spirit, we want to be able to use it and yield it and wield it properly. Let's not get so focused on things in life that we're not sharpening our tools. Listen, some people will listen to, to all sorts of false teaching. Here's what it says in Micah. He's, he's rebuking the people And he says in Micah 2, If a man should go about and utter wind and lies, saying, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink, he would be the preacher for this people. He's rebuking them because he's like, anyone that comes along and says something that you like, you're going to make that guy the next pastor over y'all. Why? Because it's the itching ears. He is saying what you want to hear, and you like that. Sadly, People fall away. People fall away. It happens all the time. Don't let it be you. So Paul tells us, see to it that no one takes you captive. Listen, people walk away, they fall away, they run away. Sometimes they're duped by false teaching. Don't let it be you. 
See to it that no one takes you captive by false teaching. And sometimes they give into the world. Don't let that be you. See to it that no one takes you captive by false teaching. And sometimes they give into the flesh. Don't let that be you. Don't let it be you. See to it that no one takes you captive. Make sure you're not duped by false teaching. Stay on guard. Remember, brothers and sisters, how beautiful your Savior is. Remember how beautiful the salvation that he's given to you. The gift of salvation given to each one of us. The gift of eternal life. Remember how amazing your heavenly Father is. Remember how true the scriptures are. And here's the thing. Part of our challenge is this. Many believers have a misunderstanding of the church today. And they make a mistake. Maybe you're making the mistake. Maybe you've made the mistake. And they treat church just like any other organization. Sports club, robotics club, chess club, homeschool co-op. Listen, these organizations exist because the state says they can. They need permission by the state. And if you want to you know, you be an organization, you've got to fill out the paperwork and submit it. Not so the church. The church does not need permission by the state to exist. Now, it can say, the state can say it needs permission, but guess what? It does not need permission. The church does not need the permission of the state to exist. Why? Because it exists because Jesus himself authorized the church to exist. So the state can't say anything about that. It can't try to, I mean, it can try to shut it down, but it can't. Why? Because Jesus authorized it to exist. Uh, Matthew 16. Look at, look at there briefly. Starting in verse 13, Matthew 16. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Okay? So Jesus is building a church. He's building the church. You know, we talked in the past, the universal church, like all believers everywhere, they're part of the universal church. Some people call it the invisible church. But that's what Jesus is building. That's what he authorized to exist. He didn't authorize sports clubs or robotics clubs or chess clubs or homeschool organizations. That's fine if they exist, but he didn't authorize it. But he did authorize the church to exist. And Jesus, as we see back in Colossians, what does it say in verse 10? You have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Of all rule and authority. And Jesus has all rule and authority. So he decides. Is the state over Jesus? Is Jesus over the state? Yes. The state is merely one of the servants of Jesus. 
Look at Romans 13. Starting in verse 1, Romans 13, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval." For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. What does it say twice? He's the servant, the state, the civil authority. is the servant of God. What has he been given? He's been given the sword. He's been given the sword. He's supposed to punish evil. He's supposed to keep evil in check. That's what he's supposed to do, punish the evildoer. Now, uh, uh, many separate sermons could be said on the misuse of government authority. That's not today. But the local church is also one of Jesus' servants, and he gave it an authority. Listen, he gave it an authority that you and I as individuals, that we don't have. He gave the church authority. And as uh, Jonathan Lehman said, this has radical implications for what the local church is and what it means to be a church member. Listen, the church is indispensable. It's indispensable. Okay? The state, it's actually indispensable as well. Uh, Not in the same sense, but whatever the state does, it can only do so because God granted that power. It can only do so because God granted it that authority. Now, has there been overreach? Yes, definitely. You've seen it all over the place, multiple countries the last few years. But it can only do so because God has granted it the power. But guess what? Christ is over the church, yes? And Christ is over the state, yes? And he's also over the family, yes? So Christ's rule, I mean, there's no, there's no limit to Christ's rule. Look at Psalm 103. I know we've looked at some of these in the past, but they bear looking at again. Psalm 103. Psalm 103, verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Now we're going to look at a couple passages here in, in the uh, Old Testament. And what we're going to see is, is um, in your version, is the Lord, is that in the all caps? Yep, okay. Do you all know what, what word, whenever you see the all caps, what Hebrew word that's translating? Yahweh, okay. So what we're going to see in the with some of these Old Testament passages is what's, what's being applied um, to the triune God, Yahweh. Then we're going to see in the New Testament that one particular member of the Trinity is where it is um, specifically blessed with overseeing. So God, the triune God, oversees everything. And then what, we, what do we see? Well, then it would make sense if the triune God, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, 
one God, three persons, we talked about it last week, that, that Jesus also, if he is God, and he is God the Son, this would extend and be true of him as well, right? And that's what we see once we get to the New Testament. So these Old Testament verses are just as much uh, impactful and meaningful as the New Testament ones. So verse 19, the Lord Yahweh has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Look at Psalm 47. Psalm 47, verse 2. For the Lord, there, there again is that word, a uh, Hebrew word, Yahweh. For Yahweh the Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. One more passage in, in the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 4. This is Daniel talking about the visions that he's seen. He's got this uh, second dream from Nebuchadnezzar, and this is what it says. We're going to just kind of jump in the middle because of time. But it says in verse 17, The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it to the lowliest of men. And what's, what's the message that Nebuchadnezzar has to learn? That God is in control. And that even he, as mighty as he is, and as far-reaching was his kingdom, guess what? There was one who was still above him. And how did God teach him that? He's, he's out in the field uh, eating grass. He had to humble him. But he taught him. And he learned his lesson. Okay? So, w here's the thing. This message of Yahweh in the Old Testament, and then we see specifically Jesus in the New Testament, being the king of kings, the lord of lords, being over the nations. This isn't something that's just like, oh, it's buried in, in some minor prophet in like the last part of the verse. It is repeated over and over and over and over and over again. All over the place. All over the place. Look at Ephesians uh, chapter 1. Now, there's some similarities between Ephesians and Colossians. We'll see a little bit of it here. We're going to pick it up in verse 20, uh, Ephesians 1. That he worked in Christ, whom he raised from the dead, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Okay, he put all things under his feet. God the Father subjecting all things uh, to, to the feet of Jesus. And what does he do? He gave him as head 
over all things. All things. How many things? All things, right? Is there anything that's not under all things? No. All things. And, it, and it's, again, it's, it's a separate sermon here, but all things, and who did he give it to? To us. To the church. It's actually kind of cool when you meditate on that a little bit. Okay. So he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things. Revelation chapter 1. Verse 4, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. He's the ruler of kings on earth. Now, what, at what point is he, I mean, this is, this is chapter 1. This ain't chapter 20 or 21. I mean, this is, this is the beginning of Revelation, all that stuff, depending on when you think it happened, I mean, it hasn't happened. And what is he saying? At the beginning, at the beginning, Jesus hasn't even come back yet. But at the beginning, he's saying what? The ruler of kings on earth. Well, that makes sense. That's what Colossians is telling us in verse, in verse, in verse 10, right? Jesus is the head of all rule and authority. Many versions, instead of using of there, they use the word over, which is very much appropriate. He is the head over all rule and authority. So does Jesus have all the authority? Yes, he most certainly does. And listen, back in chapter uh, 1, what do we find out in verse 16? He's the divine creator. For by, by him, all things were created. And, and just to make sure that no one has any doubt, he goes on, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So Jesus is the divine creator of how many things? All things. So he created the thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities. This means they're under him. All of them under him. So the, the same words for rule and authority we see here in chapter 2, verse 10, are the same things mentioned back in verse 16. Same words. And so what 116 is implying, and you can easily piece that together from that, is brought to the front in 2.10. Since Christ is the divine creator, he's over it all. He's over it all, including all rule and authority. So, so what does this mean? Well, we're back to, to Christ building the church. Like, he has the rule and authority so he can do what he pleases. So what does he do? Well, he establishes the family way back in Genesis, he establishes the church, and he's building it. And listen, he guarantees us here, and the gates of hell, Matthew 16, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Listen, if the gates of hell won't prevail, then national borders won't prevail against the gospel. They won't. And if the gates of hell won't prevail, dictatorships can't prevail against the gospel. Many have tried. Many are dead. They failed. The gospel lives on. And if the gates of hell won't prevail, we send, out, we send out the cooks to translate God's word, right? For people that don't have God's word in their language, the gates of hell won't prevail. 
Imagine if, if Michael Jordan in his prime did a one-on-one basketball game with a five-year-old. Is there any doubt who'd win that game? Like, serious. Okay, we have someone greater than Michael Jordan. We have Jesus. And Satan is like that five-year-old. He has no chance of winning. No chance. No chance. So if the gates of hell won't prevail, which is what Jesus said, then Satan himself doesn't stand a chance. Now, he will try to thwart the advance of the gospel, but he will fail. He will fail. So we're not in a fight where we aren't sure who wins. We've been told the ending. We're guaranteed the victory. So brothers and sisters, quit believing the enemy has a chance. Quit believing the gospel is powerless. Quit believing that the gospel can't change lives. The gospel is very powerful. It is the power of God unto salvation. Lives are being changed daily, not just in in this county, not just in this state, not just in this country, but across the world. Across the world. Too often we just get so flooded with, you know, things that are happening within like 25 miles of us. Nothing necessarily wrong with that, um, but there is a much larger world out there. And God is doing a great work. But if, if you're not hearing those things or checking out those different sources of information, then you just don't know it. But, I mean, there's revivals breaking out in countries across the world. The gospel is very much alive and well. God is doing an amazing thing. So what's the call for the church? Make disciples of all the nations, right? So look at Matthew, 18, uh, Matthew 28. I want you to notice one word. You maybe haven't noticed before. Matthew 19. Go therefore... No, I'm going to start in 18, because that's, that's a good place to start. Matthew 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What kind of authority? All authority, right? All means all. That's all it means. Okay? All authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What does he do? Then he's going to commission the church. I've got all the authority, and here's what I'm telling you to do. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, a lot of times people read, they read verse 19, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I think it's one of the applications, but go therefore and make disciples, and actually, I think most of you read it, go make disciples in all the nations. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But that's not what it says. What does it say? Make disciples of all the nations. All the nations. This includes every country every country it's not a clandestine movement every nation yes the people in the nation but every nation is called to surrender to the lordship of jesus christ go therefore and make disciples of all the nations every authority in that nation is called to surrender to the lordship of jesus christ every leader in that nation is called to bow down and acknowledge the lordship of jesus christ 
Listen, this isn't controversial for the, for the believer. I hope it's not. I mean, that's what he's telling us to do. It's the Great Commission. Colossians 2.10, who is the head of all rule and authority? He tells us right there in verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth. He's got all the authority. And so sometimes we're like, well, I've, I've not really kind of heard something like that. You go back and look at some of the older commentaries, they understood exactly what I just said. It said. Matthew Henry, most of you heard of him, famous commentator, great man of God, amazing Puritan. Here's what he says on this passage, his commentary. Do your utmost to make the nations Christian nations. That was his commentary. Go to the nations, or he says, not go to the nations and denounce the judgments of God against them as Jonah against Nineveh and as the other Old Testament prophets, though they had reason enough to expect it for their wickedness, but go and disciple them. Christ the mediator is setting up a kingdom in the world. Bring the nations to be his subjects. Setting up a school. Bring the nations to be his scholars. Raising an army for the carrying on of the war against the powers of darkness. Enlist the nations of the earth under his banner. And so on and so on and so on. That's how they understood that passage. Yes, we're supposed to go into those countries and make disciples, but also make disciples of those countries. We have Christian nations that have backslidden. You go back two, three, four hundred years, European nations, greatly Christian, at a minimum they backslidden, but they can return. If the believer can return, then so can those nations. And so can this nation. We're to make disciples of the nations. And we are to be used by God to do that. Us, the church. It's either Caesar is Lord or Jesus is Lord. And which is it? Jesus. I mean, we're back to the same challenge the first century Christians faced. They would not say Caesar is Lord. And what we've seen the past three years by different countries are included at times is wanting to proclaim Caesar is Lord. The state is Lord. The state has the supreme authority. And it doesn't. Jesus does. Everything else is subservient to him. So if Jesus is Lord, then nothing and no one and no institution, no country is above Jesus. And what does he tell us to do? Go and make disciples of all the nations. How many unreached people are in the world that, that have never heard the gospel? You want to know how many? 3.2 billion. Not million. 3.2 billion. That's roughly 40% of the world's population never heard the gospel. Unreached. That's why we want to send out people. We want to support people. We want to get behind people like the cooks. We want to pray for them. Why? Because they're going to they're gonna take that 3.2 billion and, and hopefully, let's, let's get it down to 3.1 billion. I mean, that'd be 100 million, right? I'll take that, right? <clears throat> so Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth. And what did he do with his church? He gave them his authority. That's why we can go. Because we have his authority. We're not going in our own authority. We have his authority. If some guy showed up and, uh, at your house and was like, you know, there's been a string of robberies in, in, in the area, and you're like, well, who are you? And you're like, oh, I'm just uh, a, a neighbor who lives in, you know, 
couple streets over, you're like, okay, well, that's cool. Thanks for letting me know. Um, but if you're like, no, we're the police, you're like, I mean, you'd, you'd take it a little bit differently. And if some, someone shows up at your door and, and, is, and is talking, and all of a sudden they say, well, I'm here on behalf of, well, whatever follows after that is kind of important. Who are they here on behalf of? And if they're like, I'm here on behalf of your trash company, well, you might take that a little bit different if they say, I'm here on behalf of the President of the United States. Right? It's the same guy. But who is he there on behalf of? Kind of makes a difference. Well, we're there on behalf of Jesus Christ. That's why when we say in Jesus' name, really what we're saying is we are here on his behalf with the authority that he has given us. In Jesus' name. It's not just something that we tack on meaningless to the end of our prayers. No, we're saying, hey, Jesus has given us the authority to do what we just prayed. In Jesus' name. That's what we're saying. With his authority. And that's what he's given us. He gives us the authority to go unto the nations. All authority in heaven on earth. You could translate it all power if you wanted to. So what do we do? Do we crush those nations? Do we subdue those nations? Do we force them to kneel? No, no, no. Make disciples. We train them. We evangelize them. We preach the gospel to them. And, and props to Bodhi Bakum for, for next, this next part, stating kind of this line of reasoning, um, because you know, people are going to term some kind of thought like this Christian nationalism. It's gotten a, a bit of wind lately in various circles. People are all upset about it. Well, what kind of nationalism do you want? I mean, seriously. You want atheist nationalism? You want Buddhist nationalism? You want Hindu nationalism? I mean, you're going to get one of those. You're going to get one of them. It's not possible for the state to be neutral. Okay, and if your problem is with the nationalism, well, what do you want? Do you want globalism? You, you want China? China globalism? Calling the affairs of mankind across the world? So yeah, Christian nationalism, like that term freaks people out. I'm not really sure why. We're just saying we're supposed to be salt and light. We're supposed to uh, <clears throat> influence wherever God places us. And we're supposed to shape the families and the churches and the societies where we're at to look like Jesus. That makes sense to me. Salt and light. So let's use the authority that God has given us and wield it for his glory. We wield it for his glory. We have the authority. We are his ambassadors, given the most precious message. The most precious message. We have the antidote. And, and, and this one works. Okay? We've got the antidote for a dying world. We have the antidote. So we take the message to a dying world that is in desperate need of the antidote. Desperate need of it. And, and God's, God's privileged us with that. I mean, if you t and real, real, I mean, imagine if you really did have an antidote that could cure whatever. Let's just say cancer. It's an awful thing. And you had the antidote, you'd be doing everything possible to get that antidote to people that had cancer. Right? Well, guess what? The whole world has spiritual cancer. Eating them alive and killing people by the millions. And we have the antidote of the gospel. So what do we do? We've been authorized by none other than our Savior himself, 
to take that message forth, to give the spiritual antidote to people. So let's do that. Let's be faithful. Let's guard ourselves so that we're not swept away by false teaching. We're not swept away by the world or the devil or the flesh. But we are faithful, and that message that's been entrusted to us, it's been entrusted to us, then we go forth with it. We take it forth. And, And it looks a variety of ways, but we're definitely taking it forth where God has us currently planted. And then we're either going to the uttermost parts of the earth, or we're helping support people and pray for people to get there. Are you hearing me? Because we want, we want to do what God has commissioned us to do. The great commission. Yes? We've been commissioned, and it is great. And let's be faithful to do it. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you, all, thank you that you are Lord over all, that you reign in the heavens and you reign over this earth. Lord, open our spiritual eyes because sometimes uh, people just don't see that. They don't see it clearly. Remind us. Open our spiritual eyes to see that you are ruling over all. Help us bend our hearts to believe the scriptures wherever we might not want to. That sound teaching that kind of grates our hearts sometimes, Lord, forgive us for that. Forgive us. Help us desire sound teaching, to want, want sound teaching. And when we hear stuff that grates, Lord, help us to receive it. To receive it graciously and respond in faith and repentance. And thank you that you already have the victory, that you reign supreme, that you promise that you are coming back to claim a people for your own. Lord, let each person here, let each family represented Be faithful to the end. And we ask Jesus that we would be your commissioners of sorts, your ambassadors to take the message that you've authorized us with and go into the nations. Make disciples in the nations and make disciples of the nations. Bring back those countries, ours included, that has fallen away. And forgive our country, God. Help us, Lord, to be diligent and faithful disciples. You are gracious enough to save us, gracious enough to train us and teach us, and to use the body of Christ to accomplish that. And may you use us to do the same thing in other people's lives who don't yet know you. Do this for your glory. We ask with the authority you give us.